Tell him the Contest left all of a sudden and took all her valuables with her. What if the bitch comes back? Don't worry. She won't be back. How can you be so sure? Let's say she does come back. I told you she's not coming back. You just take care of calling her husband. <laughs> now it's our turn to enjoy life. Now we are going to live it up like the Contessa Lise and all the other rich bastards. A video nasty, 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 a video nasty. Welcome to It's a Nasty World, the podcast all about video nasties and censored cinema. My name is Ashley McNasty, here with my lovely co-host, Elmo415. Hello, Elmo415 here, and we have um, a very special genre of films that we're, that we're looking at today, and I'm pretty excited to talk about them, actually. Yeah, we are doing the giallo genre. Oh, we're going to make a scary movie. We've got a spicy Gostellini for you here. And within the first few minutes of this podcast, Ashley McNasty has immediately jumped in with the accents. I was expecting it, and I am not disappointed. Oh, we're going to be bringing all the stereotypes <laughs> out of here. We're going to be sending Italians back a hundred years. <laughs> okay, I, I will restrain myself on this, because I, like, I will say one thing of the giallo genre... Uh, is that many of the films are rarely set in Italy, even though they are mostly filmed there. And in this, and neither of these films are any, are any exception to that rule. Yeah, I mean the the first movie Inferno from 1980. I think that takes place in New York, while The Beyond takes place in Louisiana. So they're not they're not kind of set in like a little Italy kind of environment, you know? No, yeah, none. Of, I mean, it's like. I mean, I think some of, I mean, obviously some of their films do take place in Italy, but it's like, for the most part, they're, these films were intended for foreign audiences, which that was the trend of a lot of uh, Italian cinema kind of th from the 60s through the 80s is that even though they were Italian productions, a lot of times they'd get tons of foreign actors, uh, people who couldn't speak the language with, couldn't, who didn't share language with each other, just had them kind of read the lines in English and then have someone else dub over the lines mm -hmm. and then... You know, and then release this to usually English-speaking audiences for you know in Britain and the in the U.S. Now, luckily, n both of these films, but I did notice there is some dubbing. None of it's truly atrocious, and it's so. But it it does lend itself to this. It, it has this strange stilted dialogue where they like, huh? That that's an odd way of saying it. That's not really how it, it's like. It's more like the certain. Not even like the, how the se the sentences are constructed strangely, but more how it's like, huh? The emphasis you put on certain words is a little odd, and I wouldn't have said it that way had I, you know, been the one acting here. <laughs> yeah, and um, the the thing the the thing with the the dubbing too is that as somebody who has consumed a lot of foreign horror movies, I gotta say that. Th that this will that definitely any errors in dubbing with these movies will not take away from the film. In fact, what these these movies are so visually exciting that if you're just watching these, you might not even notice because there's a lot of uh, cool visuals going on that I think definitely overlaps any errors in dubbing. So I guess we'll let's start in with uh, Inferno from 1980, directed by Dario Argento. It's a a, a completely this is a blue and magenta neon drenched film 
it is just this is aesthetic like bliss uh and but that's kind of all it is <laughs> yeah i'm a good way to describe a lot of movies from this time and place that were made by these directors it's a very it's almost like you're almost like watching art move, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that can be easily open to interpretation. And and especially with this first one, the plot gets a little bit convoluted and confusing. And even when I was trying to, I was trying to like glance at some reviews to try and, you know, make sense of the whole movie. But it seemed like there was a lot of people, audiences of this movie that were were watching this and people reviewing it were a little bit confused uh, to what really is the plot of this movie. And to be fair, you know, we honestly didn't really do a whole lot better because, I mean, if you just watch the film, the film just kind of drops you into this world of, it starts, you know, um, and we're not going to really go into the plot super hard because, well, we'll explain it, it drops you into the foot of this of this woman who kind of has it lives in a uh, kind of upscale section of New York. Uh, I think you know bordering Central Park, and she is reading this book talking about the three mothers. And this is a concept that was briefly touched upon in uh, one of Argento's previous films, Suspiria, which we'll be eventually doing because uh, it did make the nasties. Uh, and so. And she just, it just kind of drops in with these kind of interesting dream-like kind of cryptic clues about the three keys and where to find them. One will be in the cellar. One will be under your shoe. And it's, although you don't really need to keep super close track of this because it it's, doesn't really matter. It's just, no, there are three keys and they're, what do these unlock? I don't really know. Something, anything. The MacGuffin to keep the movie the, going. I want to point out they, they repeated the check under the shoe um, uh, to find one of the keys, but I don't see any of these characters check their own shoes. No, I don't think at they. Do they I don't think they ever really come back to that in the film at all. It's yeah, they just cut. They just there, there's a lot of stuff that's mentioned that's mentioned that doesn't come back later in the film too. So yeah, yeah. and I guess our initial heroine, she kind of she ventures out of her uh of her apartment and down to a local antique shop who. They never really established the relationship with these characters, but it's assumed to be that they know each other already, and this antique dealer has sold her uh, this book that she's you know read out of and is kind of generally aware of what it's said inside. It's, and this book is supposedly written by a an older alchemist and architect who says there like there are three buildings in the world which contain these three mothers of like. A, there's some sort of spiritual malevolent force you know one is uh in germany uh, somewhere in germany the other is in new york the other is in rome and this one takes place in the new york one of which of course they do shoot a couple scenes in central park but most of this is just all the interior scenes are shot on sound stages in rome so it doesn't the the setting doesn't really need to be new york just know it's going to be these highly saturated colorful apartments yeah and visually this is um this is really aesthetically pleasing like this is a cool thing to look at but i mean one the downfall of this movie is that it's it's really hard to keep track of what's going on like a lot of my notes were uh 
like one of my notes, I'm just going to read it verbatim. I wrote down, no idea what's actually happening here, but it looks cool. There's a dead body underwater and there's a spooky gloved hand, you know? And actually, and of course, you know, the, the gloved hand, it's a classic trope of uh, the giallo genre. Just, okay, a gloved hand gripping a knife, you know, you never see who's holding, you know, whose hand, the, the uh, whose hand, the body that is attached to the hand. But, <laughs> You, you know, like usually stabbing it, you know, they got, you know, a knife or a straight razor or something like that. And so this occurs multiple times throughout the film. I don't think we ever truly learn who has been wielding this knife the entire time. Maybe it's multiple people. Maybe it's even one person who really knows. Uh, it's not super important. This woman kind of has a journey through these very odd and strange places seemingly without explanation as how to how she's gotten there it's like maybe it's magical realism maybe it's just like this weird kind of dreamlike logic where you just kind of move from one place to the next without any seeming thread connecting it um but not in a way that makes it seem completely just like oh shoddily edited and that's yes uh, yeah she ends up going down into this strange you know into the basement of the antique shop finding a hole in the ground and finding uh, a sub, a whole new submerged you know room that's been completely submerged in water underneath of it, and it just it's and the film just kind of continues to move like that. You know, all of a sudden there'll be another character who's in a library, gets lost, finds themselves in the basement, and there are bubbling cauldrons with a, a strange villainous alchemist in there trying yeah, to steal the, the book out of their hands. Yeah, they mention an uh, they mention an alchemist throughout the beginning of the movie, and I don't even know if they really come back to that much later. But uh, they do, but not in a way that really makes sense. You'd have to like read a synopsis of the film to oh oh this guy was the alchemist yeah. the whole time who was barely introduced in the movie at all. But sure, okay. Yeah. So and you see this 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 guy who I think is the alchemist. He tries to tries to cook her face in some type of cauldron of acid or something, but she fights him off, she gets away, and um, going through, her shirt gets stuck in the door as she's running out, so she survives this, and it rips her shirt open, like oh, yeah, they're, uh, they're, like good horror. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, I was like, wait, they're really doing this? They're really, they're actually doing this in the movie? It's like, oh, this hasn't been cliched yet. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It just and yeah, there's oh yeah, plenty of shots. Of course, they have you know the women had to get their shirts wet all the time. But it's not like a American oh wet t-shirt contest type of way. It's more like yeah. oh we're being you know classy you know classy breasts. You know, we exposing yeah. breasts without actually exposing breasts kind of way. Yeah, we do, we do get a shot of a woman with a wet hair and shows the the well, nipples. Well, and I was not after, complaining. <laughs> yeah, after she gets up out of the uh, the the submerged area, so it's. Yeah, the the film it's it doesn't there's there's a lot of things to like about it in terms of really just it's really just like in terms of visual splendor and just like oh I'm into the vibes of this movie I, I'm into just like the way this movie looks but it it they're they're really it's it's really difficult to actually talk about any specifics of the plot really just because it, it just moves on it introduces characters that really introducing or that really introducing them to you just all of a sudden oh now there's this guy and it's like oh it turns out like oh it, he's the brother of the woman we met initially but they really don't make that very clear and it's you know he ends up kind of being the last girl of the film uh it's and kind of uh 
I guess it becomes a protagonist of some sort. And the film kind of moves between these various protagonists uh, without really yeah, explaining or introducing who they are uh, in, a, in a concise or clear manner. And it, 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 so you're just kind of moving from person to person, place to place, in these kind of strange kind of liminal apartments. So it really kind of does create, if there is something intentional about the film, it really is to kind of create this weird dreamlike space. Yeah, and this movie does deliver some cool kills. I mean, while not being the most coherently linear film, like there's, I haven't, I, you know, I jotted down a couple of uh, scenes that I thought, a few scenes that I thought were really cool. Like um, there's a guy who gets a knife um, stabbed into his neck and then he, he like jumps on top of uh, this woman, like struggling to survive, but he's clenching onto her and she's freaking out and just getting, getting blood covered on her. And it's a, it's a pretty visceral, it's a pretty visceral scene. Like it's, um, it's definitely at this scene is where the violence starts to escalate and uh, it kind of just starts getting more and more uh, violent from there. And, oh God, there's a scene that is so goddamn funny. Uh, and I've never seen this actually really happen in a horror film before, but a woman is attacked by cats. And, but the way it's shot, you can kind of tell that, oh, they're just crew members off camera just throwing cats at her. <laughs> and, like, you can tell, like, how are these cats just, like, launch, cause, like launching themselves out of the air onto this woman? And it's like, oh, oh, no, no, no there's just someone, like, like, okay, you have, like, a small, like, bin of cats, and you're just throwing cats at this poor woman. I mean... And luckily, you know, they're cats. Like, they land on their feet. And uh, still still a little, you know, there's some ethical concerns there, I could say, in terms of actual treatment of animals. But they're not really going cannibal holocaust and actually harming anyone, like, in a serious way here. But Yeah, well, it's shown later that this, that there's a character who keeps, like, a bag of cats. And you find out later that he's actually been somewhere else in the house just throwing cats at people, which I found very creative and very strange. I mean, at least that's what I can... I mean, they never explicitly really say that that's what's happening, but that's how I'm choosing to interpret what's happening. And, yeah, eventually, yeah, he... I guess, like, in somewhat upsetting scene, because they show us he drowns this bag of cats in a... Uh, uh, pond in Central Park. Although you, you never actually see the cats getting drowned, it's clearly just a bag full of some lumpy things that he can yeah. shove down into there. And they but, just have um, you know post production cat noises being you know clearly phoned in. Like they're they're not actually drowning cats. This is not a cannibal holocaust situation. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not all. going that hardcore on this. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's yeah the, the film. I don't know. I wouldn't call it an exploitation film. But it certainly has like, uh, it's like it's weird because there, there's certainly artistic, uh, like there's a, definitely an artistic mind at work here. But at the same time, it's in service to what? You yeah, know, just just something that's kind of like, oh, this is just kind of like, it's not exploitation, but it, it's not really. It just kind of, I, I don't really know how to exactly put it. it, it like, it just kind of like, oh, this is set up to be like a weird semi-supernatural Italian slasher film kind of I mean that, that's oversimplifying what this is but at the same time it, it's like yeah it, it, it's I don't want to say it's trash cinema but yeah, it's it's uh, not exactly highbrow I mean in terms of what the story it's attempting to tell is yeah and after he drowns the cats he gets eaten alive by the guy who drowns the cats gets eaten alive by 
rats get stabbed in the eyeballs. Then there's like a woman getting set on fire. Just there's a lot going after a while. It's just stuff kind of crazy shit just starts happening in this movie and you're like i don't understand why this is happening yeah the i mean it's, it's the effects of and the effects of everything are cool like all you know, the fire scenes are great you know like fire just coming out of the walls this beautiful apartment and you know just everything going up in flames and uh it's i guess by the end of the film though when everything kind of comes to a head and it's there's kind of a series of revelations that happen as to the identities of certain characters none of it really landed for me because it just there's been no they don't they never really establish take the time to establish anyone for it to have any weight to it yeah oh this guy was the guy and by the way i didn't even know this guy was the guy until i actually read up like the wikipedia article you know summary of the plot of the film because that's kind of just how unclear the storytelling can be sometimes yeah when when i'm watching a movie i prefer to kind of not have to keep checking on what's happening in this scene because that's kind of how i i felt like while watching this movie i kept needing to like pull up my phone to figure out what the hell is going on in this movie (laughs) i mean and it's interesting because you know some people might respond well hey listen don't think too hard about it. You just got to turn your brain off and just like let yourself have fun with them. And I, and that's certainly a way to do it. But even when you're doing that with like, you know, like schlocky or trashy films, like, yeah, usually you can still kind of like vaguely track what's going on in the film, but this is just, it's kind of like next location, next location, next location, and not really a coherent thread that ties it through. But at the same time, like you can tell with like the set design, the costuming, and like you know the lighting and all the visual styling that there actually is something going on here it's not just like a lazy film yeah but it just it's it's rather unfortunate that it's what they set up what could have been kind of a pretty cool uh mystery kind of horror mystery film but they they don't really ever go into or try to bother to develop the mystery element of it and that's just kind of like a vague framing to just have like this series of events happen Yeah, from what I've read is a lot of people compare um, Argento's more popular film, Suspiria, which is kind of in the same universe as this movie, but a lot of the reviews kind of describe it as this is a shell of what Suspiria did right. So, you know, I I feel like when we review Suspiria, it's going to be a lot more of an enjoyable experience to review than Inferno because, well, we're not that far into the podcast uh, to today and i'm just i'm kind of running out of already running out of things to say about this movie (laughs) no i mean i mean i i mean actually this probably is a good time to begin to move on to the next one but yeah there's not really a whole lot going on here i think you know for everything that suspiria did right yeah this one it's this is kind of all style no substance i'd say that's kind of a bit more how I kind of classify this movie. It's a good vibes film. If you're just like, Hey, I'm just looking for some crazy saturated colors, put on some crazy movie during a party and just have something that's pretty to look at, but no one really needs to pay attention to anything that's happening. And if you try, well, that's your own damn fault. Well, <laughs> uh, which unfortunately we had to do because we wouldn't have an episode if we didn't try to analyze this movie, yeah. which it was, it was definitely a more disorienting experience trying to catch up what is happening in Inferno. But I mean, that being said, I will say I didn't find the experience of watching Inferno to be unenjoyable. 
I found it to be rather just a, a little frustrating in that you could see, oh, there's like, there is like a, like a really good movie in here, but they could have just, oh, if you just grew out a couple of these elements, you know, mm-hmm. just like flushed out the characters just a little bit. You don't, you really didn't need to do that much, but, and just, and have some of the threads kind of connecting, you know, the series of events just be a little bit, you know, stronger in that actually have some threads connecting them, but it's just kind of ground the story just a little bit more. And you could still have this crazy liminal dreamlike, uh, kind of experience with the film while not having it just go just completely off into la la land like the way it did yeah um yeah i this is this is like one of the few movies that i feel like i can partially recommend not fully you know i feel like of the whole giallo genre there's there's many better movies from this genre out there that you can check out. But, you know, I would say this is probably one for the diehards of that genre rather than, you know, the casual horror film observer, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I guess we're going to move on now to... So would you recommend Inferno? Um, would I recommend Inferno? I... Mm, Partial record. It's it's weird. It's kind of like... Uh, you know, if you need to just put something on while you're like, you know, folding laundry or just kind of doing chores around the house, this is a perfect, perfect movie to do for. You, you can leave, not miss anything. You come back, you're very confused. Guess what? You're going to be very confused if you stayed there and watched it in the first place. So it doesn't really matter. Just, just put it on. Just let the vibes wash over you. Just like, I mean, this one is really a turn off your brain and watch it. I mean, turn off your brain because it doesn't matter. Yeah. But just yeah, just let let the visual splendor wash over you. If if the movie is to be enjoyed, that's how it should be enjoyed. Because truly, the movie is visually like it, it's it's visually sumptuous. It's 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 a really beautiful film to look at. So just enjoy it on that level. Yeah. Um. Cool. So I think we'll move on to a movie that I personally really enjoy. The next movie we're going to check out, which is The Beyond from 1981. So I, I thoroughly, I thoroughly, I had seen the, like Inferno. I just watched for the first time. The Beyond I've seen a couple of times and I still really love this movie. This movie holds a special place in my heart. All right. And I guess before we get into kind of talking about the movie proper, uh, we're going to go into uh, a little bit of the history of the censorship of the film, which there's a little bit more information out here than uh, publicly available than there was for uh, Inferno. So, and also, I, I, we have neglected to say that uh, The Beyond is directed by Lucio Fulci, the other uh, kind of master of the giallo genre. So, I guess the uncut version of this film was not made available in the U.S. until 1996, which uh, was uh, partially due to the involvement of Quentin Tarantino, who was a huge Fulci fan, and he wanted to make sure that, you know, this film actually got, like, a real release. And because it just, yeah, it's like, it's it's a vision, it's, this is, this is actually a pretty cool movie, and it's a real shame that it didn't get, like, a real home video release until the mid-90s. So, yeah, yeah it's kind I, of, like... Yeah, it's it's kind of sad to think that the director never really got to see his uncut work being distributed through the U.S. and the U.K. while he was alive. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. I guess uh, yeah, there's no cut, uncut version of the movie was available. I guess until shortly after uh, Fulci passed away. 
Yeah, and that's and that's when the uh, the releases of the uncut version in this movie start. It started streaming in Los Angeles, mo- uh, not streaming, released in Los Angeles, and then there was midnight streamings in New York. Showings, showings. <laughs> I keep saying streamings. Uh, you are so you, wow. You are so twenty twenty brained. I, I have become twenty twenty brained immediately. The, 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 I mean twenty twenty is in the decade as a whole. Sorry, it's because it is twenty twenty is truly the streaming decade because that's how it started off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh okay, I guess we're just gonna sit down and. Uh, just watch Netflix until we all go insane. Yeah, okay. so <laughs> the movie was playing midnight showing starting in Los Angeles, moved to New York, and then all across the country, they started having midnight releasings of this movie. So it, eventually, it, it every dog has its day. And in this case, uh, you know, finally the Beyond kind of really got its full, uh, you know, kind of got, really had its day almost, or was it like, what, uh, 20, 20, 30 years after it got released. Yeah, and in in the United Kingdom, there was no uncut version allowed in until 2001. So in the UK, you couldn't even see that even yeah. after it was released in the US, you had over a whole decade of not being able to to see the uncut version yeah, in the UK. This is a, and as well, yeah, well, we've done it before on the show and we'll note again right now, this is partially, well, not partially. This is because there was a turnover at the, the head of the uh, BBFC retired and a new one came in and he had a considerably more uh, kind of liberal and light-handed attitude uh, towards a lot of these films that were previously just completely censored. It's like, okay, listen, we'll, we'll start to begin to allow, you know, some of these older films to just, you know, pass uncut and actually go on uh, home video I mean, because they're, on some level, there still is, like, the idea that, yeah, this is a censorship board in a supposedly free country, you know, in a free and democratic country, which is, it's it's a little ridiculous if you really look at it, you know, for too long. Yeah, right. so now let's talk about um, the movie itself, and I really enjoyed the way this movie starts. It, um, it, it starts out on this, uh, this rickety hotel in Louisiana. Year's 1927. It's on the edge of the bayou. It's on the edge of the bayou. And I really like how it's... it It's the first part, first 10 minutes, 5 to 10 minutes of this movie are filmed in sort of black and white, but there's kind of a yellow tint, which really makes and brings an ominous feel to the entire scenario yes. of this of the situation, which I haven't really seen other movies do, which I found to be really cool. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, especially not other movies of the era. It's yeah, kind of has this like I don't want to say sepia toned, but maybe for lack of a better term, kind of like this yeah vague kind of like this kind of vaguely vaguely sepia toned kind of black and white. Yeah, it starts on a woman walking through kind of the main parlor of the. Uh, of the hotel, you know, kind of, it's very dimly lit, and the only kind of illumination you're seeing is through kind of lightning strikes outside, and it provides this really strong visual effect to it, and as, you know, we see kind of, there's a, through the bayou come, you know, two boats full of men, you know, clearly, you know, up to no good, and as we find out quickly, it's a, you know, this is a kind of a small lynch mob of people, and they are coming to, uh, take care of the 
uh, proprietor of this hotel. Yeah, it's obviously Bobby Boucher's relatives, you know. Because <laughs> you know why alligators are so angry. They have all those teeth and not a toothbrush that can brush them all. This is scientific fact. <laughs> so we have a bunch of uh, pissed off Cajun guys. <laughs> They're going to fry this hotel up like a bunch of crawdads. <laughs> Water sucks. <laughs> well, actually, they, they, they don't. They don't. I, I assumed they were going to just burn the hotel down. No, it turns out they, they, they don't. They really just uh, beat the shit out of uh, this one guy uh, who is uh, working on a, a rather odd uh, painting uh, in one of the upstairs rooms. I guess he's, he is the assumed to be the proprietor of the hotel. Uh, and... Yeah, he, they whip his ch- face with chains. Yeah. That is rough. Yeah. That is a rough scene. You just see the um, you see the big chain go against his face and sw- split his cheek open, and it's a very visceral scene. Yeah. The violence gets off to it gets off to a very violent start. Oh yeah, and they 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 drag him down to the basement and crucify him against the wall. Yeah, yeah, and they melt his face with chemicals. Like, they just... Yeah, it's, and they, yeah, they melt off his face with chemicals and yeah, torture the guy to death. And, you know, then, boom, that's the start opening credits. And I, it, this film also has this kind of dreamlike quality to everything, but it, it's a bit more grounded and... It just, it's just a little bit more grounded and rooted to something for the audience to kind of hold on to than inferno is and so this is like kind of the little extra push that i think inferno could have done that this movie tends to do better and there are still some things where like sometimes they don't really explain fully who these characters are but you kind of can just turn your brain off for this one and just watch it and still have a pretty enjoyable time because there's enough of a plot there for you to just kind of hold on and kind of watch as it uh, uh progresses yeah and for horror movies of this time I've really got to say that the pacing is so much better than a lot of these movies we've reviewed. Like, because after the, after the whole, um, you know, the flashback of Louisiana 1927 where all that stuff happens, it comes back to present day and more stuff immediately happens. This movie does not leave you bored, which is something I found in a lot of older horror movies, like the pacing is terrible, but I think in the beyond, the pacing of this movie is amazing. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I do think there are some sections kind of near the end that it begins to drag a little bit, but frankly, it's it's really nothing to worry about too much. And yeah, because yeah, immediately it's like, you know, you have some people pull up to this hotel that you know, this woman has inherited. She's going to be fixing it up. Yeah. And... You know, it's set now. It's modern day, which you know, 1980, 1981, somewhere around there. Yeah. And uh, you know, immediately, a painter falls off the scaffolding and you know gets you know severely injured. And you can kind of tell, like, oh, eh, something might not be right. And eventually, it is revealed that uh, I guess in some legend of some sort that there are uh, seven gates to hell on Earth, and supposedly this hotel has been built over one of them. That is mm-hmm. why the cause of all this sorrow, misery, and madness uh, comes through this place. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing, uh, one of Fulci's signatures, too, is that if you watch enough of his movies, 
uh, actually you can find this out by watching just one of his movie is he has a very big thing about ripping people's eyeballs out that is something that's very frequent through his through the movie and that's that very be is very much a signature move of the director and i think it's very effective because you know, there is something very visceral, visceral to scenes of eyeballs being ripped oh, out. Yeah, it's a yeah, yeah, eyeballs being poked out, ripped out. Every other like, if there's some way he can disfigure and fuck up an eyeball, he's gonna do it. And it's in this film alone. I mean, what, they do it like five or six times. I mean, it's like they do it a lot in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I was just like yeah, there was um yeah, there's a scene where the walls melt and the hand comes out and just rips out the guy's eyeballs. There's like there's a few different eyeball oh, yeah. things. Someone's head gets shoved onto the back of one of the nails used in um, our first guy's crucifixion and shoving, you know, basically shoving the back of their skull through this nail and having, you know, the eyeball impaled coming out of that staying, you know, you know, being popped out of the head. Yeah. You know, and, and it's and all the practical effects in this film, or at least most of them, look pretty good. It's a, yeah, it's they a, still hold up a it's, lot it's, of them. It's pretty gory. It's yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. This one's uh, yeah. Uh, this one's not really for the faint of heart. Oh, this yeah, is they, they go they go pretty hard in the paint in this one. Yeah, yeah, and Spe- they- yeah. Especially for films of the era, it's it's pretty. You know, we don't really need to get into oh why specifically was this film banned oh no 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 we 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 know why we know why really quickly why this film was banned oh yeah because i mean a lot of my notes are just really amazing kills and and we we want that for horror you know i think this is a very well-made horror movie you know and there's also but it's not just kills there's a a strange and eerie atmosphere that pervades this film and most of it's not set I mean, a lot of it is set in this small, you know, hotel on the edge of a bayou, but uh, other parts of it are set elsewhere. Like, you get this amazing shot of uh, our kind of main heroine driving along this strange uh, set of uh, highway out in Louisiana. It seems like there's water on both sides of it for quite some ways. It's like a like some sort of long highway built over, you know, like a bridge or something like that. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, she sees, you know, a blind woman with her guide dog just standing in the middle of this completely deserted area and just like, what is happening? What is going on? They never really explain who this is, or at least I couldn't figure out who it was. doesn't really matter. This one's like, oh, just, just go with the vibes. It's kind of strange. And, and all these, uh, and you end up going to a hospital also later in the film, a couple times in the film, actually. And, you know, and this, you know, of course, has this kind of like very emptied out, like really strange kind of like you know like dreamlike experience of like where's everyone gone why am i the only one here and and they kind of introduce some zombie elements uh as the film moves on specifically in the hospital with like you know bodies moving kind of supposedly a prophecy of you know when the gates of hell are opening open the dead shall unlock the earth yeah and there's a lot of that going on there's um and of course you know i'm i'm always focusing on kills so there's a great scene where a woman is um, knocked unconscious. She's lying on the floor and a vat of acid spills and melts her face while it, while this little girl is watching this in terror. And then there's this giant pool 
of, of, you know, highly toxic acid mixed with blood creeping towards the little girl's shoes, you know, and she's backing up very slowly trying not to get, you know, melted by the acid. And it's a very, it's very tense, you know, you see her, the little black shoes backing up and then the, the blood mixed with acid coming towards her. She's backing away slowly, just terrified. I think it was just... It's, I think there's some really good tension in that scene. And that one, the way that scene shot also, I mean, it's the girl also, she's she's running trying, kind of from door to door in this large morgue room trying to, you know, find a way out. You know, obviously most of the doors are locked. But, and the way they shoot it, it almost seems as if this, like this mass of blood, like almost might be like maybe have some sort of sentience to it as if it's actively trying to move towards her and seek her. And... All it is is just actually just good camera work and good editing. Yeah. And um, this movie, if you are scared of spiders, you suffer from arachnophobia. There is a scene in this movie that is absolutely not for you. Oh my God. The tarantula scene. Just tarantulas crawling over some guy's face and just biting and ripping his face apart. You know, the way the tarantulas do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I did really appreciate This is the one where it's like some of the effects look a little bit like, okay, you can tell it's a fake head because also, especially it's supposed to be a guy's head. But if you look at like close up, of course they're, they're tearing the guy's eyeball out of his head, you know, and uh, as they have to do. But as you see that, you kind of notice his eyelashes. And it's like, wow, you have really full eyelashes. Like, really really full eyes which is like oh you're going out to the club and you're putting some falsies on so you can before you meet your girls you know it's like for drink it's like it's like wow that's uh Oh, interesting. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff with practical effects too that were easier for screening and distribution because if you if you watch this movie on a VHS tape and saw some of these scenes with the with the lower film quality that that movies used to have visually it was way harder to spot those effects on like VHS but now with HD TVs when you watch this watch some of these older movies it's just way easier to spot the movie magic itself yeah. when you watch these so you know it's like sometimes you got to forgive it product of its time yeah no i mean it's like i mean that's i mean and my observation is no knock against the film it's uh yeah, it's a perfectly entertaining and serviceable film, and Frank and most of the practical effects are actually hold up really, really well. And particularly, there's this one scene near the end of the film where uh, this woman gets her neck ripped open by a dog. And oh yeah, yeah that, that was one frightening. Is, whoo, I think yeah, that takes the cake for this film's like yeah, goriest kill. It's like oh my god, just like like blood flowing like water just like oh my jesus yeah that was a really yeah that was a very frightening scene uh the tarantulas were spooky i could tell mcnasty was a little bit cringing at the tarantulas just a little bit hey i'm not a fan <laughs> not a fan of tarantulas so no you know smaller spiders uh don't care for them but i can handle them uh bigger ones no thank you no thank you sir don't want them at all so you don't want me to get you a pet tarantula for christmas no no, no, no tarantulas. So if you're a fan of this show, do not send Ashley McNasty tarantulas. Do not send me a large box full of tarantulas. Yeah, uh, because all tarantulas do is eat people and they're evil. <laughs> well, I mean, we did see in uh, uh, Jackass Forever. Uh, I mean, what can happen? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I forget. Did they have it bite? Sorry, I, I forget in that movie. Does it bite Chris Pontius's, like penis or like... 
What or they just have him bite his hand? Uh, I don't even know. I only saw the movie once. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I mean, yeah, but I, I just I can't remember. They had someone. I either bit Steve-O or Chris Pontius. I mean, I figure, I just assume, no, you know, no, it's a snake in Jackass Park 2 that bites Chris Pontius' penis. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, no, I don't think, I think Steve-O just gets bit on the hand by the, no, I guess another thing about this film is that it has a kind of a cosmic, a vague ho- cosmic horror connection where it's like, oh, it's not drawing directly from, I think directly from anything that like H.P. Lovecraft did, but there's kind of these vibes about it where eventually the whole thing, you know, the film kind of begins to take on this more and more apocalyptic tone. Kind of by the end of the film, you know, you have a morgue full of, you know, dead people rising up as, as zombies and you kind of realize like, oh, whatever has been happening in this house is no longer contained to this house and is now entering the larger world. And it's almost as if there's like a, a hell on earth is about to be happening. Yeah, it there was when I was watching it, there was kind of this same scared feeling as when I was first watching the movie Insidious that this that both of both of this movie and Insidious do really well, I think is kind of just kind of like non just like scary shit happening to people while they're trying to get out that don't necessarily have like a plausible explanation. It's just scary and disorienting. So I think the beyond did that really well towards the end of the movie. Yeah. And I think, yeah, overall, I think it created for like, yeah, like they, in terms of cultivating a really eerie atmosphere, it does that really well. And it does it in a very different way than Inferno does. Yeah. In terms of like, yeah, obviously you don't have this, you know, this, this really ultra saturated, uh, color palette throughout the film, but and they they actually do make use of the Louisiana setting quite a bit. I think actually I think this one actually was shot in Louisiana. I feel like the Beyond is the superior movie that we have that we have reviewed for this episode today yeah. for sure. These are vibes movies, so go check them out and feel the vibes of these movies. Yeah, just uh, listen, you just kind of vibe it out. Just uh, see what floats your boat. You know what? You don't need to pay super close attention. It's, uh, you know, the overall plot is not that important. What you just got to, like, yeah, just vibe out. Just chill. Just let, just soak the images in. Yeah. And uh, so, Ashley McNasty, would you say you recommend The Beyond? Uh, yeah, I would. If I do think had uh, a little bit of pacing issues towards the end. Nothing serious, though. Um, but it's could have just been my mood at the time. Just like, okay, I'm ready for this movie to be over. It's, uh, it's an hour 45. Thought it could have been, I uh, could, could have done to an hour 30. That being said, I think it's fine. I think it's a good movie. Yeah, I'd recommend it. Yeah, I would say I highly recommend this movie. I mean, some of the, you know, so with the um, HD presentation that ever, most people's TVs have, you know, some of the effects may look slightly hokey, but honestly, if you can get past that, um, everything else about this movie, I found personally brilliant and, you know, I highly recommend this. So yeah, for me, very high recommendation for the beyond. So I think if you're, you know, a horror fan and also rewatch it, one thing was fun rewatching this movie is watching how many film directors in horror later took elements of this movie and put that into their movies. I mean, I could go on for an hour about different movies that I think this movie inspired, but nobody got time for that. So, 
All right. Well, this is not. This is far from our last Jallo episode, as we have uh, several other from the uh, from the genre on the video nasties list, and we shall be revisiting films from both uh, Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci. But for now, we're gonna have to leave you. I have been Ashley McNasty, and I'm Elmo Four Hundred Five. Stay nasty. Stay nasty.